Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures to the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at magicalmeetings.com. Today, I'm with Emily Elrod of WorkBees, where she works with high-performing teams, high-pressure teams of all sizes to create wise work environments where people show up, collaborate, perform, and have fun while doing it. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, so looking forward to this conversation. If the pre-show chat has any resemblance to what we're going to do, it's going to be a good one. So I want to get started here with, let's hear a little bit about how you got your start in doing this work of, you know, helping people collaborate and have fun and, you know, just be higher performing. So I have a very interesting, like, weaving story that comes with it. So my father designed a lot of um, the machinery in the textile industry. Um, and so I followed in his footsteps. I was an engineer, an ergonomical engineer. I don't have a degree in it, but I have been doing it since um, I was 16. And so if anybody's maybe in the textile, I helped create the RES and then redesign some of the splicers and mini krills. So I did that. And then I have the best dad ever. And why I say that is because he looked at me one day. He goes, Emily, you're amazing at what you do. He goes, but you don't love it. So you need to go do what you love. And so I joke that I love people more than machines on most days. And so now I have a master's in uh, health science physiology. So basically the engineering of the body. <laughs> And from there, I went and did some wellness in the wellness world and then branched out and do a lot of basically the human and organizational performance. So that's how I got here. Excellent. So I'm really curious in the world of textiles and the kind of working with the machines and just the design work, how do you think that shaped your view of things as you started to work more in the world of humans and how the human body works and, and people? So it was fascinating. So I would design all this stuff. And, you know, if something went wrong, they always blame the people. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. So whenever I went to the people side, it was very different to see that, in essence, we create the environments for the people, especially if we're in the HR or the leadership spaces. And so how... People didn't look at that. They didn't look how it was designed. They did not look at how it had been engineered or crafted. Is is this actually meant for a human to succeed in? And so that has probably been one of the most fascinating things for me is helping people to deconstruct policies and procedures and even looking at the people side and just their habits that they've created. And how do we actually get it where people can show up, collaborate, perform, and have fun while doing it? 
Absolutely. That's a really profound thing to wrestle with because, you know, how often do we hear they're set up for failure? Yeah. Right. And, but at the same time, who takes the time to step back and say, hey, are we designing our system so that we support people better and that they're not kind of just, you know, you know, destined to never succeed? Oh, yeah. And it's really important within that is like, I remember working with a Fortune 500. And my thing is, if I'm ever in a room, I do not want to be in a room with all the yes people. If I'm with yes people, we have an issue because we have no discussion. We have no conversation, really. Um, just nodding of heads. And that's not what I'm about. So they knew this. We always talk about hot conversations. We want to humble, open, and transparent. We're going to have these. Well, we surveyed 32,000 people. And we asked how stressed you were. This was before the pandemic. And before the pandemic, 67% of them said that they were stressed out. I was like, okay, yes, we're finally going to get to attack this. And then one of the people in the um, executive suite said, well, we didn't ask if it was you stress, good stress or bad stress. I'm like, y'all, walk into your facilities. (laughs) I can quickly tell you there is nobody smiling. They don't interact. I said, and you have their heads down like the robots. We can argue this all day long, but I'm going to let you know these people are stressed and it's shutting off their learning centers of their brains and you're getting the minimum amount of habits that you have conditioned these people to be basically robots. So it's it has been a different world to bring this to, but it's a slow progression that I'm beyond excited to continue to see the work grow in. I love this idea or this notion that the learning centers are getting shut down and I think that not enough companies and leaders are tuned into the fact that every interaction that we have at work, if we're doing knowledge work, is a learning moment. Like we have to mm-hmm. be in a learning state of mind to do good work. And uh, that was actually the the impetus behind our workshop design workshop because we wanted to use learning experience design principles, learning science mm-hmm. to help shape how people think about having meetings and doing sessions. And so I love that you're tuned into that because – so often people aren't paying attention to the fact that, man, we got to support them and keep them in a learning mindset because if we're not in a learning mindset, then we're just going to stagnate. Exactly. And it's so important too, is also understanding like people have different styles of learning. So interesting story that, well, with me, we said this in the pre-show too, is that I should know what it's called because I have it, but there's only 5% of the people in the world that can't see images. So if I tell you, Some people don't even have to close their eyes, and it's the most annoying thing because I even try to close my eyes to figure it out. But say I tell you to look at an apple. Can you see the apple? Can you tell me the color? Can you spin it? Most people can. Well, in my learning style, how my brain works, I can't do that. So the visual aspect that people are so like, that's how we start learning is visual. I'm like, (laughs) y'all, like I can't visualize something if I wanted to. And the irony of this is that I went to my mother. I was like, hey, mom, can you do this? And she's like, no. <laughs> then I went to my husband, the rest of the family, like, oh, yeah. And I was like, the first person I went to, she was exactly like me. So I guess it's genetics. I don't have a clue. But all this to say is that well, it was probably genetics. I'm about to tell you something else. My daughter, her learning style has been very interesting. I have a eight-year-old daughter and so for two years, she they always say she's the hardest worker. 
She just can't comprehend what she's saying or she can't comprehend or keep it. Well, we actually did some testing on it. She actually has a processing disorder. And so her processing disorder allows her not to do amazing at learning if I'm having to read all the time. So there's so many facets of learning and how our brains are designed from, I like to hear, I'm very good. I can walk in a room and I can hear it. And that's just, that's my natural style. That's my daughter's style. But you give me a piece of paper and I have to read it. Mm -mm, It's not me. It's really fascinating. The research bore out that while there are maybe favorite learning styles, that everyone learns from all different mechanisms. So if we lean in with a very diverse and supportive style where it doesn't matter what the neurodiversity is in the room, we're going to support anybody where they're at. Mm -hmm. It actually helps everyone because it turns out the diversity of approaches helps people integrate better. Because even if you have a preference for auditory, there's still benefits from you know seeing some text, even if it's maybe there's a, a point where you get overloaded, right? But mm-hmm. um, I thought that was really fascinating that like the efforts to help an individual actually ends up helping the whole because we're supporting them in different ways. Yeah, and it's the energy. That's the thing that we talk about is like, what's your capacity? So if I'm at a max capacity, you want to give me the most or the easiest to interpret at that time. Mm-hmm. However, if we create the environment where I'm not having to utilize as much energy or if I have somebody in the room that has a different brain than mine and that pops over and I am may not be the best communicator, but I have somebody that sees my brain and sees my mind or my facials, especially on my team, they can read my facials and they know like, hey, I need to, I need to pop in for her. She's not getting this. And how beautiful it is to have also the team effort. And what I say is I don't want to be like-minded. I want to be like-hearted. And we have a general mission to conquer whatever it may be, but we can help each other together within our different diversity of thoughts. So what's your advice for teams that are wanting to have more of that? You know, maybe they aren't, you know, noticing that someone on the team is struggling or they're not in that mode of finishing each other's sentences. What are some, you know, initial steps they can take to start getting there? So we literally created an assessment for this. <laughs> so <laughs> take the wise assessment. That's one thing. Because um, that's that's what we found is that it's the coolest thing whenever you, everybody gets to break down on what their natural least amount of energy style is. So it's even everything from like, do you need direct communication? Do you need sugarcoating? Or like, are you the, some people may say they're sandwiches and they'll try to give feedback. There's so many different f- facets of conversations that can take your energy in a meeting. And sometimes the smartest people in the room may not have the emotional intelligence. And so making sure that there's cues along the way for those people that, you know, I joke, there's one of my clients. I always say she has like 70 different tabs open in her brain. Like she was an Olympic athlete. She also like runs an amazing business, uh, manages over half a billion dollars with an amazing team and everything. (laughs) And it's just her brain. Her brain has all those tabs open. And I have to remind her, hey, close a few of those tabs and like look at people in their in their face. Like Mm. it's just natural training things and getting people in the room. And I guess the other thing is, is that's kind of what we do, too. We go into the rooms and facilitate the leadership meetings or facilitate um, conversations where you have 
to break down silos is what we say. So if I have somebody from marketing and sales, they can sometimes not like each other. So how can we bring them together? And first, you got to kill the animosity. You have to make it where it is a safe space to talk. Um, that's serotonin, gut checks in the body. Um, and how we start all of our meetings off is either through some form of gratitude because it releases something called oxytocin, which allows for connection. We call that the loving grandmother. Um, or wins. We want to know what are the wins of the week. In this past week, what ha- you got to come with one. Because we got to actively, it's so easy to find the negative, especially if we don't like each other in a room. And um, finding those wins really make the difference. Yeah, that uh, is something I love to do. And have you looked at positive deviance or appreciative inquiry at all? I have a little bit, but not not to the extent to talk about it. I mean, it's really fascinating. The, the research bears out, right, that when we focus on the positive and what we want to amplify – Mm-hmm. It's effective. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing is, it's that cliche where energy flows, mindset goes or whatever, however it goes. Um, but that's very imperative. Like if we don't find the good for me, all I need it for is to get an oxytocin boost or a dopamine. So dopamine in the body, we call that the rah-rah cheerleader. And if you want to know how I got all these names is I taught it to my kids who are seven and 11 at the time, and they taught it back to me. So they came up with the names. They get the credit for it. <laughs> but uh, dopamine, that helps focus. Uh, we It gets a bad rap sometimes on how it like gets these quick hits or like Facebook or some form of social media, whatever. But it actually helps increase focus. So I want to start off any meeting with a place that I can make it safe. They can feel safe. I can get some form of a dopamine, and if I can get it even better, I'll take an oxytocin hit just so that we can start that connection. We can break down and create a space where people can actually talk and not feel like they're smothered or they don't have a voice. Yeah, I was going to bring up earlier we were chatting, and you talked about caring and connection, and you you just mentioned connection again there. So I was already kind of uh, drawn back to that point around just the importance of having some generosity and some softness with our coworkers. Yeah. So that's been very interesting lately. And one of the trends that we found in 2021, but we're seeing it also flow through in 2022. So one of the major people trends in 2021 was the increase of animosity towards one another. So which is the decrease of connection. Mm. Oxytocin, again, the loving grandmother. If you think of puppies and babies, It's actually what makes Pertocin, if you have a spouse that has or ever had to see childbirth or lived in childbirth, Pertocin is actually what gets the cycle going, Mm. and it is oxytocin. And it is the reason why we have love at first sight, and it is what brings that, that connection piece that comes together. So how is a human designed and engineered? We're engineered for that. We have to feel connected. You may have heard about belonging or whatever these other phrases, but we have to have that. So animosity was very interesting in 2021 that came up. We weren't with each other. And oxytocin also comes through hand, uh, high fives, touches, um, or extreme vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So if I'm very vulnerable and tell my story about um, maybe a mental illness that I've had or like how I had a kid out of wedlock at 21, like those will get you one curiosity, but two also a connection because she just said that, you know, and getting into the spaces. Not everybody can tell their story. 
For me, I can. It's more of a relieving thing as well. Mm. But if we have troubles in the day and understanding, which actually leads to the 2022 trend that we're seeing is we call it the super superhero syndrome, which is really fascinating in that people um, feel like they have to save the day. They have to save everybody and they don't have the people that they can come to and just take the mask off um, and they can just be a human. And that's what we talk about. It's like, you don't need to be a hero. Like, stop that mentality. You are a human. That's what you're designed to do at first. And creating that space, just sometimes people just need to get things off their chest. And that's some of the most successful business leaders I have have meetings, morning check-ins where they create a safe space. Everybody gets to talk. And ironically, it's in um, the healthcare industry. They get it. It's been a hard, hard two years. They get it off their chest, and then they go to the work. So I'm really fascinated by this uptick in in the hero kind of mentality. Any insights into where that came from or why there's an uptick there? So the uptick is specifically we're seeing it in more of the um, doer, people who like get things, high performers. We're seeing it high in high performers and also with people that say uh, yes a lot. And so they've said, yes, they've helped, they've done, they keep doing. And now it's like, whoa, like I've got this title of hero and then I need to pop back. Or for example, I do a lot within mental health and mental fitness um, performance aspect of it because we find that that's really one of the big drivers that can impact performance. Well, for me and even my team, I'm hearing the darkest stuff I've ever heard about Uh, People want uh, kids having to drive across state lines to go see and talk with their kids because they're actively thinking about suicide Mm. to um, domestic abuses and things. I'm like, whoa, we've kind of opened up the floodgates. And so those type of people like me and my team and other people that just care and they've listened and they want to support and they want to help. They don't take time sometime to do it for themselves. And to Mm. what we say is refill that cup up. They've emptied it all for everybody else. And so they preferably don't even know that they need it at times too. Gosh, yeah. Like about four and a half years ago, I was doing a design sprint for an organization that was hoping to get some more insights into a service they were building for caregivers. And so on testing day, when we were interviewing and learning from the caregivers, there was a consistent thread from the, that I was hearing from the caregivers, which was this notion that they didn't take time for themselves. And mm-hmm. there were two people that specifically said that they would cry in the shower because that was the only place they felt safe to cry because they couldn't cry in front of the person that they were giving care to because it would upset them. And then they didn't, you know, and it's like that, that that's probably one of the most uh, just tear jerking moments I've, I've had interviewing people about, their situations is like this idea that, wow, you're sacrificing yourself to the point where you're crying in the shower. Yeah. And it is so, and that's the thing. That's where my heart comes from because we know that work is the fifth leading cause of death. We design that to be. And that's the thing is like, how can we step back? And again, for ours, it's to be wise. We think everybody should be well. They should be intelligent, not just with just like smarts. It's nothing. It's emotional intelligence and process improvements insanity curses are the number one thing that we see is people, they want to do better, but they keep getting trapped in habit loops or policy loops or procedure loops. Mm. 
we think everybody wants to be safe and not just physical safety, but that's a psychological safety. Can you speak up? Can you tell somebody in your area that, hey, I'm struggling today and it's not going to be something where they get knocked on their performance? And I'm in performance management. Like, that's what I do. And what I feel like is the final one is E is empowered. Whenever you combine all those together, people do perform at their best. Hands down, time and time again, when people feel, and all those questions around four major chemicals too, is when they're designed and put in right environments, they will succeed. You know, it reminds me of the other thing we were chatting about in the pre-show when you were talking about the prefrontal cortex. And I got excited because I've been always really fascinated by the study that was done around musicians that play scales or compose music. It uh, activates the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And people that are doing improv or, you know, playing and more free, it's the medial prefrontal cortex. And it's fascinating to me because when we're doing that composed, that structured, that process stuff, the critic comes out and we're more, more judgmental. Whereas in the other, we're more attuned to language and creativity. We can understand each other better. We can find novel solutions. And so the actual processes we put in place to make work more efficient could be the very things that are making us more exhausted, more have more animosity, et cetera. Oh, it is. A hundred percent. I will go to my grave saying that. Just because there's things of understanding that how, and ironically, is you also can train people for this. So there's a part of it is to, we do, we want people to stay in between nausea and excitement. So whenever we stay in between those that phases, it allows us to grow those areas. It allows us to grow our ability to tap into the creativity and what we were talking in the pre-show, too, is about cortisol, the angry coworker. While we say she's angry, it's because she gets a bad rap because she's only been talked about as fight, flight, or freeze. Or she actually has three other responses. One mask, the other one's care, and the other one's connect. But again, going back to the connection, she can help you tap into that innovation. In the work that I've done with sports teams, uh, one fascinating thing within sports, I work specifically in the baseball realm the most, is that if I have a baseball flying at a shortstop, I don't want him to think at all. Because if he has to think and take steps over, I want it to be shut off. I want mm -hmm. him to be able to go on habits. So whenever that prefrontal cortex is, is shut off, you're going basis in a habits. But there's this cool thing, too, is there's something called the amygdala. And I just call her Amy because nobody remembers the amygdala. And she only, her purpose is to answer three questions. Is this causing me pain? Is this something I need to do with right now? Or can I see it differently? And if you can get to that, that question of, can I see it differently? You have a greater chance to be able to open up to those innovation and creative. Or if we're in work environments where it needs yesterday, I got to have it done. It's now, it's priority, it's priority. Answer this message now, this chat, the Slack whatever's coming at you, you're just shutting down and you're just going to turn into a robot. Mm. There's also a more opportunity to have regret, right? Like if the, the process is coming at you and then it breaks, it's like, oh, well that there's a clear, it didn't do the thing it was supposed to do versus when we're in the, these more exploratory modes, it's like, there are no wrong answers. Oh, I love that you say that too, because it makes me think of one thing that we talk about a lot is 
progression, not perfection. Mm. And really leaning into that. And we don't even say goals anymore. We call them experiments. Because whenever you add a, a twist of curiosity and you take away some of that perfection, and again, these are habit-based because we've been conditioned since childhood, like you need to make the A's. You need to like hit the home runs. You need to do perfect, perfect, perfect. Literally this morning, my my we pray every time we go to school and my son, he was praying. He goes, let me ace this test. I was like, no, son. I was like, I don't need you to ace your test. I just need you to do your best. That's all I need from you um, because this perfection, if if I don't get these grades, I won't get to the next level. And it's just this perpetuating of perfectionism that just needs to be gone, in my opinion. But it's not yet because we're humans and we have systems designed around it. But progression, like having the shame or guilt that can be attributed to not hitting certain levels, especially whenever working with high-performing teams is so constant. And again, mm. if we we're going to go back to that superhero syndrome, that's another thing that acerbates it. Yeah, 100%. You know, it reminds me of even just the idea of having a goalpost says that there's a right or wrong answer. It has, it's going through here, but saying experiment opens us up to learn other things that we even anticipated that we would learn. So just that framing alone helps us open the horizon on, you know, what we're able to accept as an answer. Yeah, and it also with the facilitations, you know, I'm doing one on a five-year, three to five-year strategy. I like to do three, my preference. Actually, I like to do quarterly strategies. But on this group, person's looking for future thinking. And one thing that they always can get stuck on is that it's got to be perfect. We got to hit mm -hmm. it to the side, like got to hit the mark, got to hit the mark. And so what we're actively doing in this one is, hey, this is this is just an experiment. We're going to see. It's fluid. It's agile. We can move. We can bend with it. But this is what we're saying with the best amount of knowledge that we have to date on what we think will get us where we want to go. And throughout the process, we're going to keep looking at it. We're going to hold it accountable, but we're going to keep looking at it and change when needed. That's why I love the quarterly stuff, you know, to your point. That cadence, even though we set a three-year kind of thing— if we're looking at our quarterly um, experiments, to use your word, and then looking at our three-year, we can kind of constantly tweak and adapt. And and that way, when three years rolls around, or the, the, the three years is always this elusive thing that's always three years away. So <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I'm like, oh, y'all. I was like, small steps, small steps. So that's like, right. <laughs> we, But I get it. I get it. I guess it may be that I can't visualize and see these pictures in my brain. So we there's fun ways that you can elicit these these out. Um, one of my favorite is what magazine cover do you want to be on the front mm. of? And using that as what would the article say inside of it? What would the front page look like? What would be the title for it all? And what award would you win? So using those ways to be able to elicit a, an, an image for the, from the people because, you know, that's not where I'm at, but <laughs> yeah, I, I love the, the cover story mock-up is what we call that. But I love the idea of pre-mortems. So many people do post-mortems, but if you can tell the story before it happens, then we can tap into some real passions around, Hey, wh what could we be? Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Again, that's that innovation, but you have to have that safe space. And mm. the one thing that we always talk about is a reality check because we'll get into this inventive 
It makes me think of my son. My son is, his nickname is Young Sheldon because he is ridiculously smart. And one thing that he'll do, though, is he'll have these amazing ideas about creating, like, hovercrafts and all these other things. And it's like, it's a great idea, baby. But is it real? Is it something in this grandiose thinking? And how can we help? That's why I like design thinking, because it makes you go out, then you in. Out and in. Out and in is how I describe it. But it's also where we have to look at reality. With the things that we have today, which also comes with the money that we have in the world that we're in, is this a a realistic goal? And not even is it a realistic goal, you have the SMART goals and whatnot, but is it uh, something where we can continue looking at, is it uh, like revisable? Is it things that we can come back and be like, hey, again, going back to the experiments, can we just scratch it all? Or how do we need to make this better? And so that's what I always think about is my son. And it's just, it's cute to watch him. And I love to do it. I like, I don't want to be the killjoy. But at certain times, like, man, he, and my, again, my father invented a lot of stuff that makes carpet and, or the textiles and all that stuff. And so within that, that framework, that's how my father got to be as successful as he was. He actually started, the coolest thing is he started in junkyards and he started building a 1972 Firebird. And from the Firebird, he learned how to craft and how, how to weld and how metals bend. And he just continued to grow it. So I don't ever want to squash innovation. However, in facilitations, you have to have a target list, a task list at the end, it, from my point of view. And so it's that double edge as a facilitator is how do we get to these targets, but also allow them to have the ideation and, and time to have that to me it's the arc that we're creating right like and and making sure there's moments to support both right because if we're getting too convergent or we're getting too um if we're introducing the constraints too early it will stifle Mm -hmm. but here's the coolest thing so i work within a marketing group as well and so for my brain i like blank sheets favorite thing i want to create it um, ironically, all of my thinkers or the fine, uh, we call it creative strategist, they wanted rules. They wanted boxes. Mm. They wanted like a template and you give them a template and then they're going to go to work on it. So that is the other interesting thing is too, is again, going back to the beginning, know who's in the room mm-hmm. and what is their brains needing? My preferably blank sheet, but if somebody needs a template. Can we, can we give that to them? And how do you know when it's that, it's a dance, when to give, when to take, how does it work? And so that's the beauty of the work that I think we both do is just like, it's so cool and creative. It's never the same. Humans are the coolest in the world. I just love how they work. And that's, I guess, why I do what I do too. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you, you mentioned the sports teams a moment ago. But we also talked about high-pressure teams, so things like emergency workers, and you talked about your frontline healthcare stuff um, or your background there. It just strikes me that quite often being able to regulate your emotions is not always something that folks are trained in or capable in, but certainly people that are drawn to that emergency work or have experience doing that have built up those capabilities. Yeah, and this is probably going to knock me for this one. I hate the saying, control the controllables. 
or in like controlling the room and like how it is because it's not as easy as we as you think. So if I tell you to think about your favorite food, you're going to start salivating. Like there's certain things that that we do within ourselves, especially within high pressure. It's just our body is just responding to it. And some people say, like, I don't make emotional decisions. No, every decision you make has an emotion attached to it. And you can think the amygdala for it, I call her Amy. So it's thoughts lead to feelings, and those feelings will lead to actions. And over time, those actions will become habits or behaviors. But you, you don't skip steps. You you have to go through that. And again, going back to Amy, it, you can decide which way she can go if you can see it differently. And sometimes we don't even know that we're just skipping steps, like emotional decisions on why do I want to eat pizza for today? It's because um I had a stress out day, you know, or we also know some cool nerdy facts on this. We know that 5 a.m. shoveling snow is the number one time for a heart attack. Monday scaries. Why does that also creep up? We also know that if you didn't eat healthy in the morning, that around 10 o'clock, and then if your lunch wasn't good at 2 o'clock, you're more likely to go for a coffee run to keep yourself going throughout the day. There are so many things that if people understood how hard it is to control these aspects, along with there are people way smarter than I will ever be that are working on the back end to help you make decisions for yourself mm. within the feelings aspects of it. So that's the one thing is just understanding that feelings are going to be there. We have to make a space. We have to make a pause for them, but we can't avoid them. And that's the number one thing I think I see that's probably my most frustrating is that like, just avoid a feelings. They, they shouldn't be in work. No, they're there. Yeah, you can just thank your physiology for that. The thing I've personally found helpful is just to hit the pause button. You know, there's a moment that feels like maybe it's emotional or, or even if I'm not detecting it, introducing pause buttons just in general can be helpful. And most recently, I've been using um, scheduling a lot of emails lately and even Slack messages. And it's really fascinating because it's not only nice for the team not to receive you know, emails when I happen to be working later on a weekend or something. But also it's been really fascinating to know if there's any regret after sending it. For instance, like if I'm really debating on whether or not I want to speak at this conference and I send the message saying, thanks for your interest, but you know, I, I can't do it. And then I have immediate regret after sending it and I can undo that message because it's scheduled. <laughs> It's the best. It really is because it gives you a time to reflect. So I love schedule send. It's one thing that I do. So all my people, if you get a message at 8, 8 a.m., that was totally me schedule sending and working at times I probably should not have. But the one thing is, is that um, it, the other day, I actually, me and my team, again, I work with psychologists, people in the background, like, so I can't hide this stuff and they're going to call me out. We are straight up safe zone. Like I love, love, love my team. But the other day we were talking about something and apparently I was visibly getting heated with it. And again, what I said in the beginning, we like to have hot conversations. But one thing that I've learned is that when the heat starts to rise and specifically with me, like my, um, I'll feel my body like get warm or my hands can get clammy or my heart rate. When I start to feel that, that heat is also for me can be hurt, 
ego, assumptions, or temper. If I see any four of those, I need to like walk away because quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry is something I try to live by. And sometimes I like, again, it's hard to control when you have a passion for something. And my team, ironically, one of my guys, John, he's like, hey, Emily, like subconsciously, I think this is getting to you because you're a little bit off. (laughs) I was like, dang it. But again, it's the beauty of having somebody in the room to tell you, hey, why is this owning you? Why is this doing something different for you with curiosity and not judgment? Because it goes back to that thing that you talked about earlier is like the guilt or the shame that can be associated with it if you don't pause. So I think there's like a quote, and I believe it's, it might be Sir Brigham Young of all people said, you know, he who takes offense when offense was not intended is a fool, but he Mm -hmm. who takes offense when offense was intended is an even greater fool. (laughs) I like that. It is true though. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, but you know, it's like, I always like to tell people assume positive intent, man, because, you know, we don't know when we're misreading something and even if it 100% seems like someone is out to get us, that's where that animosity creeps in. And if we assume there was negative intent and then we even like scowl or like, you know, our facial expressions get the best of us, then what are they going to do the next time we say something that might be easily misunderstood? And then it, and then just boils over that animosity just leads to more animosity. Yeah, and it also goes with the assumptions. Somebody said, always Mm. be careful with that because you may look like the first three letters of the word. And (laughs) just continuing in on how dangerous those can be. But that's, again, that's how our brain is designed. Our brain is designed to categorize. Our brain is designed to use less energy to be able to do these things. So which actually goes back to what we talked about earlier is taking that pause, taking that break, because... Like, you need to rest and reset. Nobody can go full out. Like, that's not, again, that's not how we are designed. So making sure that you have those breaks throughout the day, making sure that you have, especially if you're facilitating an all-day, get people moving. I love, love walking talks. Like, before our conference that we're doing, our summit is, like, uh, chewing chats. Like, get on to be doing some form of movement or walk and talks before the meetings, you know, like how can we get people to be, um, and I learned this actually through my husband. There's actually a lot of science behind it too, but I've been married next week will be nine years. And I got so frustrated with him because I would sit down and I would want him to talk to me and he'd be like, yeah, sorry, not happening. But we're avid outdoors people. And so we would go to our farm and we would walk. And I can't get that man to shut up. And I'm like, how? How did this happen? And understanding, getting in, again, spaces where it's safe and people can flee if they want to. So I think that's the other aspect of it. If I say something that's triggering to him, he can just run and go have fun with one of our cows and just make a new, I got to get on the tractor right now kind of excuse. But also it allows for more blood flow to the brain so that you actually have the ability to have the energy (laughs) to have Mm -hmm. the conversations. That's right. You know, everyone's space is going to be different. And how do, how do we take note of that and support it? See, again, going back to the wise assessment that we do, we actually ask that question. So we look back and we dive in deep about like, what is your habits usually in school? So for me, again, outdoors person, um, 
that hunting stand is the quietest place that I always was at, and I love to be outside outdoors. So I would always go and just go to the stand and do hours of work. But if you put me in an environment like a coffee shop, I am horrid at it because I'm like, I want to hear all the conversations and I want to people watch. But other people, that's what they need. I have a group that's so funny where one of the people, everybody was getting frustrated with her because she always had the music on and it was her music that she liked. But the other people around them, they weren't accustomed to that. But come Mm -hmm. to find out she was a coffee shop style, style person. That's what she needed. She needed that quiet background noise. And so understanding our learning environments, what do we also need within that aspect? Some people need it like library. Some people had to go to the library and study. So it's their own, just how they're designing their habits and what it has created them to be for today. So you mentioned the summit, and I want to provide a little bit of space here for us to talk about that because I know you have that coming up. Uh, I try to keep it fairly evergreen on the podcast so that, you know, even if someone's listening to this six months from now, it'll still be applicable. But there's still, um, in the case of your summit, it's still a ways off. So I think there's plenty of time for folks to listen before. And perhaps you're doing it every year. So even if someone listens, maybe there'll be another one coming up. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing and what you're excited about. So the summit is something that I am, I'm beyond excited about because it's a two-day interactive summit where we are bringing people in like HR, ops, safety. And what we say is we're, we're bringing people that are like-hearted, not like-minded. And we're all around this mission that we believe that work should be designed for people to work and live wise, which is those well-intelligent, safe, and empowered that I spoke earlier. And so just the first day is all about self. Like, how do we do that for ourselves? And then the next day is all about org. How do we do that with our policies and procedures and our people that we have? But I just love that it's finally being talked about, one, in, in such a greater space. And just the for us, our mission is to create a space for accountability, connection, and life-impacting results, not just for here and now, but for seven generations to come. And this is like us getting to live out our mission, like actively creating a space for people to come and create those connections, but then also have the accountability to go back and say, hey, you know better now. Like, you do. So go do something with this. And so that's just more people that understand how humans are wired. What is the design? What's making us and making your humans do what they're doing? And then you're getting frustrated with them. So bring in just a lot of cool people together to talk about it. Nice. And is that going to be in Atlanta? No, it's going to be in Chattanooga. Right on, right at the mountains. Yes, it is. So it is, if you've not been to Chattanooga, we always, everybody that comes here is like, it's the friendliest city. And it is. It's beautiful. It is outdoorsy. If you love anything outdoors, it is absolutely perfect. So not only for that, but also just to come learn. And it's just, it's just a cool community. It really is. And where can folks find out more about the summit? They can find out more at workspeed.com. And so if you look up WorkWise Summit, so we will be doing it in September. And then the hope is to continue this all through. So it's our, it's, Technically, it's our first one, so we are like nervous as all get out, but it is something that we've been praying and thinking about for years. And so we're finally, we're finally doing it. Wow, excellent. Exciting times. It's always fun to launch a new program and 
inaugural year for a summit. It's an exciting, fun opportunity. Well, thank you so much. Well, you know, I want to make sure that we leave some time here for you to, um, you know, send off our guests with a final thought. So what would you like to leave them with? Ooh, that's a good one. I think the biggest thing that I would leave people with is if you're probably listening to this, that you're probably one of those high performers because you want to get all the information and just that, you know, like I've been doing this for years. I know Douglas has been doing this for years. We have days we struggle. The one thing that I think that's the most frustrating that I get is you'll hear if you um, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. No, you're going to work. You're going to work a lot. It's going to take a lot of energy. But at, in the end, it's worth it. And so, but while you understand what is worth it, you also have to understand what's not worth it and being very diligent and understand what you need to say no to. So biggest thing I think that I've been harping on the past two weeks, and that's what I'll leave you with, is please default to no and defend your yes. And so as you go, and if you want to, if you're in a room that you're being asked to do things, default to no, and it's okay. It's not on your self-worth. Sometimes you need to pause and look back at you and what you need. If you were a cell phone, if you pulled up your cell phone right now, could you see what the battery level is? How about for yourself? Do you know what your battery level is? Dive into that and default to no. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, Emily. It's been a pleasure chatting, and I hope we stay in touch and talk more soon. Oh, we will, for sure. Thank you so much, and thank you to all the listeners. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. If you want to know more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about radical inclusion, team health, and working better. VoltageControl.com